fellow Wheaton grads joining the call and um, many other names that are friends and longtime colleagues. This is, this is really, really a blessing to be with you today. And Lauren, thank you for the invitation. Bill, thank you for that, that tremendous um, introduction. I, I was really, really interested in this topic, trust and hope in the time of pandemic and having the opportunity to get together with so many friends to talk about it. Um, in terms of thinking about the essential role of the church and community in, the, in coronavirus recovery, what I wanted to do today is kind of a mixture of things. Since we do have this opportunity to have a conversation, I hope that what I can do is set up that conversation by first, you know, kind of looking at the answer to the question of what the essential role of the church and community is, but also maybe asking some hard questions about where we're at as, as a faith community as we try to uh, address this crisis. But I have to say, even, even before we get into talking about that question, I think the, this gathering and, and all of these names scrolling across the, the screen sets up exactly what the church and community is doing. Um, it's, a, it's a perfect illustration of the adaptivity and the ingenuity and the creativity that people are showing in the face of this crisis to find ways to bring people together. And in some ways, I think this is going to be an enduring legacy of this challenge that we've all faced for our entire culture as we get into that new normal on the other side. So as I start, I, I want to talk a little bit about scripture that has meant so much to me as we've gone through this crisis. And, and as we were getting started, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the blessing of being able to get out into green spaces. And I'm fortunate enough to live near a green space that, um, that I can, can walk in occasionally. And one of the, uh, having grown up in a faith tradition, I find that one of the resources are the are those scripture verses that run in the back of your mind all the time. You know, having had the opportunity to go to chapel at Wheaton, for example, um, so many of those things are just carved into your into your DNA. And of course, one of them that we all share is Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I keep I've I've heard that in my mind as I think about you know a virus that that has, is is creating a threat that we can't see. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me that scripture always has something to say that is relevant to the exact challenge that we're facing. But moving from that into a verse that might not be as commonly thought about in these times is, um, I've been thinking a lot about, as we think about coronavirus from a public policy perspective, I've been wanting to emphasize to people the fact that it's a novel coronavirus, that this is new, and so many of the public policy challenges that we're facing are rooted in the fact that it's brand new and that clinicians and science are having to race to catch up. But Ecclesiastes tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. So from a spiritual perspective, we're not having to race to catch up. We're not having to deal with something that is new from a faith perspective. Throughout history, we've had these kinds of challenges and the church has always been there to deal with it. So here's what Ecclesiastes says, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And certainly we can think of all kinds of historical examples going all the way back to the plague, which we grew up hearing about 50 million deaths, 50% of the European population. Of course, that's not what we're facing today, but I think for many people, um, 
not having faced something at this scale um, in our lifetime, it's, it, it feels like uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's a hearkening back to that. Let me just run through those, some of the things that in recent history we faced in 1918, the H1N1 virus, um, 675,000 deaths in the US, the equivalent of 0.7% of people. 40 years later, H2N2, 116,000 deaths in the US. Um, and in just the last 40 years, we faced AIDS, Ebola, Zika, H1N1, swine flu. So we've seen, we've seen these recurrent episodes of the church having in front of it these, these, these crises of faith that we've had to respond to. So I want to emphasize that just as we're seeing today, you know, there's so much conversation focused on, particularly among us here in Washington, D.C., what is the government going to do? What is our public policy response going to be? And, and I want to talk about that a little bit later. But particularly uh, the area that I head up at, at Heritage Foundation is faith, faith, opportunity, and family. And so it's important to emphasize that civic society is really stepping up in this moment to be an integral part and an essential part of the response. And in fact, faith groups have formed the backbone of Ameri the American medical system since our founding. And during this, this, this pandemic, they've been more essential than ever. Catholic hospitals host one in every six of the nation's hospital beds. Seventh-day Adventists treat over five million patients each year. The Little Sisters of the Poor are right now really essential in caring for the elderly, which we know have been particularly hard hit. They are at the absolute center of this pandemic. Samaritan's Purse has inspired us all by the hospital that they set up in New York City that they are only just now starting to wind down. So the church is right now stepping up to meet people's physical needs, which is particularly essential. They're the ones who are right there at the tip of the spear on the ground. The government cannot reach people in the way that the church can in their being rooted in communities. So many, so many people, we have over 30 million people who are unemployed right now. It's absolutely mind boggling. And so we're seeing food banks across the country that have sprung up to uh, um, address the massive increase in food needs. Churches, voluntary organizations are donating food doing distribution drives. My own chart, my own church has developed a drive-up food bank that people can access. There's a group of churches here in Arlington that has raised $250,000 to help people pay, pay rent. The Baptists on Mission has compiled resources for churches who want to minister to their communities in safety. They're collecting names of churches that have kitchens where they can cook meals and volunteer to help deliver food. And uh, Reverend Jay Voorhees, who's a pastor at City Road Chapel just outside Nashville, Tennessee, has dozens of people in his community laid off as restaurants and bars have been forced to close. And he has started a fund to buy grocery store gift cards to help them get through the crisis. We could go on and on. In fact, at Heritage, we have uh, a portion of our website devoted to creative things like this that Pastor Voorhees has done um, that we're seeing all across the country as churches have been creative and figuring out ways to reach out to people. But then also trans, uh, turning to shift a focus and think about spiritual needs. I've been particularly inspired by how well and how rapidly the church has adopted the technological resources that we have to address people's spiritual needs. Because I think it's been fascinating to 
you know, as we talk about how there's nothing new under the sun and that we always have different crises to face, I think this one has really struck people particularly hard in the isolation and the mental health issues that have come out. So many spiritual needs that people are discovering as they're cut off from and isolated from their everyday routines and their other support systems. So churches across the country are building online services, out using outdoor movie theaters, drive up um, services with the windows rolled up, listening over the radio. Um, Catholic churches are offering drive-through confessions. Hillel, a Jewish campus ministry, has launched Hillel at Home, providing virtual meetings for students whose studies have been interrupted by the pandemic. So there's this just been an explosion in online counseling services that people have been able to sign up for through their churches, and that has been a blessing to many people. But then I'd also like to talk about the leadership need that we have, um, that the church has the ability to step into. And I think as we move forward in this crisis, it's going to be increasingly true, particularly for those of us living here in Washington, DC. We've seen a real erosion of trust and an increase in hostility in our common, uh, our common community and our, our way of living. I think this is something that the church has an opportunity to speak into. Um, I don't know that we've uh, mentioned that Heritage Foundation convened the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, and I've had the opportunity to serve as the co-executive director of that. And our president, Kay James, brought together 17 experts from across the country to serve on this commission and to put out recommendations for how um, primarily uh, policy leaders can address the crisis. But we specifically included civic, civic society leaders in order to have a broad-based um, focus on how all the different elements of society can respond. And as I mentioned earlier, it's always important to us to emphasize the essential role of civic society so that it's not always just what can the government do, but what can we in our communities also do. And so we have leaders like Johnny Erickson Tata, who's always been a hero of mine, Samuel Rodriguez from the Hispanic Christian Leadership Council, um, Mr. Bob Woodson, who, as many of you know him personally, is a longtime hero and leader in the minority community, and, J and former Congressman J.C. Watt. All of them have contributed to the recommendations that the commission has put together in looking at civil society. And part of what um, has come from that conversation is urging all levels of government to partner with civil society. And some of the things that, um, that we've identified as being particularly crucial for churches and other civic and community groups to be involved in is the increase in mental health issues that we're seeing across the country. Um, we need to have more research into why this virus is being particularly devastating in the minority communities. And the church needs to be a voice in that conversation and, and a particular leader in outreach to make sure that those communities are getting what they need. And care for the, dis care for the disabled who have been particularly hard hit by the isolation that um, the stay at home orders have brought about. And then there's other issues like, um, dealing with, as we look at the science, moving forward and developing vaccines, what does ethical research look like? What does it look like when, um, when hospitals are, have been discussing the possibility of having to, having to do triage with, 
with life-saving care. My colleague Ryan Anderson, who's a friend to many of you, uh, partnered with many faith leaders to write a precy on what an ethical response to some of those conversations might look like, and I would recommend that to you on the Heritage website. And then as we think about the leadership of the faith community in our political life, um, I want to emphasize that it's what an amazing opportunity it is for us as Americans to be going through this crisis and, and being able to publicly draw on our faith, to speak about our faith, to share our faith. One of the things that's particularly um, tragic and heartbreaking to see is the difference between what our civic society responds to this virus has been like compared to totalitarian societies like China and Iran who have actively shut down their faith communities and as a result don't have that resource to draw on. But yesterday was our national day of prayer and so that emphasis and that focus is something that really, really is um, characterizes our our national our nas national uh, the fabric of our society and and should be something that we can draw on and bring us together. So, in conclusion, I, I'd like to bring us back around to where I started. Ecclesiastes is a difficult and challenging book, certainly, um, but there's so much there for us to draw on. At the same time that it tells us there's nothing new under the sun, it also provides us perspective, which is why I think that it was put there in scripture for us. It comes back around later in the, in the book to tell us there's, there's a time for everything. There's a time for everything. There's a time for everything, it says, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. That's the perspective that the church has the opportunity to bring into this crisis is this historical perspective that there is always going to be crisis. There's always going to be community challenge that requires us to draw on each other and to draw on faith. Um, in that same verse where it talks about a time for every activity, um, Solomon goes on to say, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of, all of scripture. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. I think part of the spiritual crisis that is paralleling the health and physical uh, and medical challenge that we're facing as a society is the fact that there are so many people who don't have that resource of having these scriptures having been a part of their lives and and giving them that eternal look on how to deal with the the challenges that are in their lives and so this is the calling for church and for community organizations to continue to find ways to bring people together to reach out to 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 bring the eternal perspective into this everyday difficulty that has many, many people across the country feeling desperate and fearful and not having any idea where to turn. We're, we're seeing science saying one thing on one day and you know we have these dueling 
dueling, dueling research papers. You open up Twitter and it's one day it's this and the next day it's another thing. I, from a public policy perspective, I believe we're making great strides. I think we're finding our way forward in all of that, but there's no denying that um, it's been very confusing to many people. And so that to me is the great opportunity for us today as a church. Christ has set eternity in our human heart and he's made everything beautiful in its time. And we have the opportunity to bring that hope and that longer term perspective that, um, that there are resources and, and, and spiritual, spiritual grounding that can help people get through this um, and help us get through it all together.